0: is Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia, and you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you, we're here for each other, most importantly, we're here for the Lord. Hey everybody, welcome back to Warm Springs Road Church of Christ. Uh, I know that this is different, but I want to take a second before we get started and commend you for watching this Bible study with your family tonight uh, to try to keep things as normal as possible And believe me, I am praying for you, and I wish that we could get back into our building. I am done with this. I want to see you. I miss you, and um, I'm ready to get back together and to study. But until that happens, we're going to keep doing this, and we are pre-recording these Bible studies and uh, devotions and prayers and Lord's Supper and everything so that we can try to cut down on the technical difficulties that we've been having over the last few weeks uh, because of the sheer number of churches and people that are trying to live stream, it's harming, um, it's harming the quality, it's harming the ability for the live stream to continue um, successfully. And so I'm um, pre-recording this and hopefully, hopefully it, uh, it works very well tonight. Um, if you want just a couple of housekeeping things, first off, the thing that we're going to be studying tonight is the gospel. And so because of that, uh, take that share button down, whether you're looking on Facebook or watching on Facebook or YouTube. Take that share button and share that out to every person that you know. Text the link to five people. Email it. I don't care. Make make an email chain, an old-fashioned email chain. Um, But share this message out. Share this this Bible study out to as many people as you can. Second, if you will look down in the chat on whatever platform you're on, Facebook or YouTube, um, I'm going to put the prayer requests for this week down there so that you can keep updated with those. I'm pre-recording this on Monday at 12 Uh, 19 p.m. And so because of that, um, I want to make sure that those prayer requests are up to date. And so check down in the chat uh, for that. But I will add one very, very, very special, very important prayer request that we need to mention. And that is Hannah Alexander. Hannah was a member of our church family for about two years a while back. Uh, She has since moved back to the Huntsville, Alabama area And she is experiencing the virus. She has been dealing with the virus over the last few days. And so please be praying for Hannah. Uh, Hannah is a a great woman and a good friend of all of ours at Warren Springs Road. And you need to be praying for her. We all need to be praying for her so that she can get better as quickly as possible. Now, we're going to study Colossians chapter 1 tonight. And so if you want, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there. Or, of course, it will be on the screen for you to study tonight. Let's just dive into it. You want to? Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since you heard, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Now, if you were paying attention, and I didn't tell you beforehand, so there's no real reason for you to have for the words to have stuck out. But I want you to think back to the words uh, that we just read. There are four descriptions of the gospel in this text, and they are these words, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this, of what of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So hope equals the word of truth, which equals the gospel, since the day you heard it, heard what? The gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth. So The gospel is hope. The gospel is the word of truth. The gospel is the grace of God in truth. And and of course, the gospel is the gospel. The word means good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to ask any nominal Christian, any normal Christian today, member of the body of Christ that has some sort of biblical knowledge, and you were to ask them, What is the gospel? You'd probably get the answer. Well, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's true, but there's so much more to it. And if you're watching this tonight and you're not a part of the body of Christ, I want to tell you, uh, there is more to the gospel than just that. But that is the culminating act, the, the the fixture, the centerpiece of the gospel. And so what I want you to do tonight is to pay very close attention. And if you're a member of the body of Christ tonight, you need to pay close attention as well. Because the gospel doesn't just end at you becoming a Christian The gospel ends with you in heaven, with God, for all of eternity. Amen. So, let's just dive into these four words. Hope, word of truth, gospel, and the grace of God in truth. These four phrases are Paul's definition, if you want to call it that, of the gospel in Colossians 1, 3 through 7. So, What I want to do real quick before we dive into our points and our actual study is I want to talk about this word hope for just a second. Because there's something that comes up about the hope that is in us. Uh, Paul would tell uh, Timothy to make sure to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's, There's a... There's a, a problem that comes about when people, and in fact, this just this past week, I had I had someone say the exact phrase. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but don't try telling me what I should believe. That's egotistical. That's prideful. That's, that's hateful to tell someone what I should be believing. Well, is that the case? I, I, I think this word hope shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is not egotistical or prideful or hateful for you and I to share what we know about God. C.S. Lewis said, I mentioned it in the sermon on Sunday, C.S. Lewis said, the most powerful thing you can ever pray is not to pray to God for who you think he is, but to pray to God for who he believes himself to be. And I would say the same thing goes for when we're talking about our faith. I'm not spreading the gospel because I think I have come up with the answer of who Jesus is. I'm spreading the gospel because I know who Jesus says he is and know the person that he has made himself to be. Now, I think it also comes to play in the life of Paul who wrote Colossians chapter 1. In Acts chapter 23 verse 6, Paul is gathered in front of the Sanhedrin because he needs to answer uh, questions about his faith. So when Paul received, perceived rather, when Paul perceived that one that one part were the Sadducees and the other part were the Pharisees, he cried out to the council. See, pause real quick before we talk about what he what he cried out about. He perceives that half of the group sitting in front of him are Sadducees and the other half are Pharisees, and they have called him into question because he believes something different. Folks, these people don't believe the same thing either. Isn't that the case with the world around us? They say it's prideful, it's arrogant, it's unloving, it's hateful for you to say your faith. But they also say it's perfectly okay to believe whatever you want to believe as long as you don't say that someone else is wrong. Well, that's the same problem here. And so he, he perceives this and he cries out, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with the respect to hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Why does he mention this? Because these people, the Sadducees, don't believe in either one of these things. And essentially what he's saying is, You're being hypocritical because you're standing up there acting like you're all-knowing and you're perfect. And I'm in trouble for disagreeing with you. And yet you don't even agree with yourself. See isn't that what the world does so much today. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever wrote the book, Paul says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, we are his we are part of his family. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, our boasting in our hope, you and I should be proud. We should be thankful. We should be exuberant about the hope that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Now, in order for the gospel to be good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news is that brokenness had come into the world, which needed fixing. You see, first off, this word hope comes into play when we think about the overall plan of God. God's plan had been broken way back in Genesis chapter 3 when mankind had sinned. Now, it wasn't because God didn't know that that was going to happen. But rather, God had a plan for Adam and Eve. And in the background, he had another plan. The plan that he set forward before Adam and Eve was, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to steward the world and to take care of it and to cultivate it. And then I also want you to not eat of this specific tree that I have mentioned. That's the plan that God set out. And the God's plan was, I'm going to be with you For all of eternity, you're going to live in this garden and be perfect. But in the back end, he also had another plan because God is all-knowing. And he knew that given the fact that he gave us free will, because the reason why he created us in the first place was so that we could give him love and affection. And so that we could be the object of his love and affection. Because love and affection need an object. And they only are true love and true affection When it's reciprocal. So he needed an object for his love, and he created us. And he gave us free will to be reciprocal so that we could love him back. But in doing that, he knew that we were not going to succeed in the original plan with an asterisk. What he knew was he needed a secondary plan. And that secondary plan is this Titus 1. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. You see, there was no hope in Genesis 1 through 3. It was just the standard. It was the status quo. Hope is something that you have yet to achieve and that is beneficial in one way or another. Like, I hope... That in the next few weeks, we can get back into this building, and I can see your shining faces, and I need some high fives. Listen, kids, Warm Springs Road kids, I need you to do something, okay? The first time we're back into this building, I'm going to hold out my hand, and I want you to give me the hardest high fives that you have ever given me. Send me to the hospital if we have to, okay? Lindy Sizemore, I am looking at you, all right? I hope... That soon we can get back into this building. Hope is only there when you don't have the object of that hope yet. But in Titus 1-2, he says that he planned hope before the ages began. So that means that the plan that he set forward before Adam and Eve was not uh, not the full plan. He knew we were going to mess that plan up. And so he had a secondary plan on the back end. Like the father that tells his son, I want you to go and to do this, knowing that he's not going to be able to, so that the father can help him. So, this hope, this this secondary plan that God had established. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living, a living hope. When you and I become Christians, John 3, 3-5, through 5, it says that we're born again. When you and I become Christians, we become part of this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this secondary plan. The original plan was broken For you and I. But anytime God sets forward a plan, it's also going to result in something. It's going to result in heartache because we fail at it. We'll get there here in just a second. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I got ahead of myself. That never happens, right? Anyway, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both men, Peter and Paul, acknowledge the source of what they're talking about. That's important. We'll play that, we'll come back to that here in just a minute. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. As, um, sorry, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the pur- the plan, according to the plan, he predestined us. He chose us for adoption to himself, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, the plan of God was that he predestined us. That doesn't mean that he chose John to fall away and to be lost and And Lee to be saved, and Jim to be lost, and Steve to be saved, and Joe to be lost, and Bill to be saved. What he's talking about is he chose us in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose that there would be a standard to be notified, to be recognized as being part of him, as being part of his family. Of his house. In fact, didn't we just read that? That in in hope for eternal life. Where to go? Where to go? Let's see. Where, here we go. Hebrews three five, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. So Ephesians says that he chose us in him. He chose us, being part of his household. It's not that he predestined individuals. He predestined a way, a plan. A secondary plan that he didn't tell Adam and Eve about so that you and I could be saved and so that we could know that we're in him. Now, number two, his plan, his original plan that he made known to Adam and Eve was broken, but he had that secondary plan on the back end because he knew that we were going to need salvation. He knew that we were going to need forgiveness. And so the ultimate the ultimate realization of that love was the sacrifice that would bring about that forgiveness you see if you were to ask the nominal Christian what is the gospel they would say it's the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and they get that from this verse first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you which you received in in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. How are we being saved? Because he chose us in him. He chose us to be part of his household if we hold fast our confidence. You're being saved if you're holding fast your confidence. In which you stand, and by which you have been being saved. If you hold fast the word that I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you. So if you hold fast the gospel... I remind you the gospel that I preached to you. And if you hold fast this gospel, you're going to be saved. And here's what I delivered to you. That Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus because of the plan of God. And even though we broke his original plan, his, his secondary plan that he knew was going to take effect had him being broken instead. On a cross outside Jerusalem where he died for your sins and for my sins. His body was broken for us. That is that is the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. So he says, I preached the gospel. I preached to you the gospel. And now, because he is part of the plan of God, because he is also part of the people of God, Paul says, that gospel is also my gospel. The Lord is also my Lord. The gospel is also my My gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. You can bind mankind, but you cannot bind the word of God because the gospel happened. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all mankind to fulfill the plan of God that he set forward and to give us hope. You can't stop it. You might be able to tie you and me up. You might be able to to take us out of the building, but you can't stop the gospel. The gospel never, never ceases. Number three, his heart was broken for you and for me. Back up to Genesis chapter 3. He sets forward the original plan, and he says, I want you to cultivate the earth. I want you to steward the earth. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and I also want you... To keep this one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. And so after that. God is walking through the garden. As he was apparently custom to do. And he starts trying to find them. And he says Adam and Eve. Where are you? Knowing where they are. But he needs them to recognize where they are. And so they come out and they say. We hid ourselves because we've. Found out that we were naked. And he says, How did you know you were naked? We ate of the tree. I want you to put yourself in the position of God. Even though when he made that plan, he knew that we were going to break it, it had to have killed him. It broke his heart to see mankind take that free will that he gave us the ability to choose to love and to give him affection. To take that free will and stomp it in the mud and throw it away. It broke his heart. Well, since then, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mankind has done that over and over and over and over again. His heart has been broken over and over and over again. Because, you see, it wasn't just that command. He also gave us other commands. Commands back to Colossians chapter one verse three. It says that the gospel is the word of the truth. In uh, in Acts chapter fifteen, Peter is called in question. Not uh, well, it's not just Peter; it's also the rest of the apostles and really just the Christians in general. They're, they come together in Jerusalem to have a Bible study, as it were. We're going to try to figure out what's going on with these Gentiles. We need to figure out if we're supposed to accept them or not. Let's get together and try to figure out what God has said. And so in that meeting, in that Bible study, Peter speaks up. And he, and he says, after there's much debate, Luke records, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about... He's talking specifically about Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius was baptized for the remission of his sins. But also throughout history, since we broke the original plan, or at least the original published plan, (laughs) he has given us laws and commands. And every time we break those laws and commands, we break his heart. But then Jesus came on the scene. And he died. And in John chapter 8, before he died, he said the words that he spoke would judge us at the last day. That after he was leaving, John 17, he says he's going to send the comforter. That comforter is going to guide the apostles into all truth. Give them the knowledge that they need to write down to show people how to follow God. And Peter becomes part of that plan. See, in, um, in Acts chapter 13... Luke records, brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Peter has now become part of the plan and he has received the message of this salvation, the word of truth, the gospel. And, And yes, people still were not paying attention to it and not listening to it. But, but the beauty of the gospel is that the person that is saying the gospel, the person that's preaching it or spreading it, is no different than the person that's hearing it. In fact, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay or in human form, in, in, in pots that are able to be broken. If you didn't notice, our bodies are really bad at lasting forever. A simple virus can almost shut down the entire world. We hold these truths or this treasure in jars of clay to show why, why, why did God do this? I'm not saying why did God send the coronavirus? Why, why did God give us a way to spread the gospel where we have to see men like Curtis Cates and Garland Elkins? And Thomas Warren, and N.B. Hardiman, and Marshall Keeble, and J.D. Tant, and Alexander Campbell, and Thomas Campbell, and Barton W. Stone. Men that you may never have heard those, those names before in your life, but many of us have. Those men were amazing preachers of the gospel. Why did we have to lose them? Because of this, we hold this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You know why we have to lose men that preach the gospel? You know why we live in bodies that that get destroyed by viruses and by insert any other problem? It's to remind us that the person preaching... Whether it's Paul or Peter or Lee or some other preacher, it's not the important part. The important part is the word of truth that they are preaching. The word of truth that they are preaching. Do your best to present yourself to to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling the gospel. Why? Because when you break the gospel, when you break the word of truth, when you take what God has said and, as it were, stomp it into the ground, we have broken his heart once again. The, por- the person teaching the gospel isn't the most important thing. The person listening to the gospel isn't the most important thing, but the gospel itself. But you and I have within us the ability to choose, and that means we have the obligation to choose correctly. And so, we don't need to be ashamed. What we need to do is know that we are handling rightly the gospel. That we are holding it, that we are living it, and that we are teaching it. Because if not, we break his heart all over again. We break his ultimate plan, which is for every single one, you and me, to be saved. Now, let's go on. Finally... Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 says that the gospel is the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. In in Acts chapter 11 when Barnabas gets to Antioch, he's sent to Antioch because... Well, if you didn't get to study with us a few weeks ago when we studied Acts 11 on Sunday morning, uh, the church at Antioch is something to be amazed by. Um, It is not started by an apostle. It's started by some men who ran away uh, during the dispersion in Acts chapter 8, and the apostles hear that the church is there in Antioch, and so they send Barnabas, the encourager, because there needs to be some discipling going on. There needs to be some oversight, there needs to be some accountability there, but there also needs to be some encouragement and some discipling. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch, and when he came, he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord, with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. Here's my question. How did he see the grace of God? If grace is unmerited favor, and the grace of God is the, the things that God has done, like Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, to save us from, the, from our sins and from the worldly nature that we have grown up and been become enamored by, If that's the grace of God, how does Barnabas, when he gets to Antioch, see the grace of God? Because Colossians 1 verse 3 says that the gospel is the grace of God in truth. It is the grace of God in truth. And when you see Christians living the gospel, when you see Christians following the word of truth, when you see Christians, both preachers and members and everyone else, elders and deacons and song leaders and Bible class teachers and Lord's Supper leaders and prayers. and When you see Christians living Christian lives, you see the gospel happening. And so he gets to Antioch and he sees the grace of God. He sees the gospel. He sees Christians being Christians, living as Christians, loving as Christians, and being part of one another as Christians. Now, let's wrap this all up. How... How do I do this? In Colossians chapter 1, yet again, I want to read the passage again and let's break down how they did it. Let's break down how they obeyed the gospel. Let's break down how they showed the gospel, just like the Christians in Antioch had done in Acts chapter 11. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is beginning is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. If you've never heard of a thing called the plan of the gospel. The plan of salvation. That's a phrase and it is a simplified, step based explanation of this passage. You see, the plan of the gospel is usually rattled off as hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Well, what does that mean? And how do we do it? Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to give us rest. But those who do not obey the gospel do not get that rest. How do we obey the gospel? How do we show the gospel? How do we live the gospel? Well, I believe that all five acts or all five parts of the plan of salvation are mentioned in Colossians chapter 1. You might be a non-Christian tonight. You might be watching this and have no idea about church and you've just started watching this because it came up on your newsfeed feed because your Facebook friends with someone and they shared it a few minutes ago when Lee asked them to share it and you might be saying what does this have to do with anything you might be a Christian tonight and be in that slack moment when I don't know if I don't know if church really has anything to do with with anything else I mean we haven't gone to church in three weeks now and I'm still living just fine. Maybe I don't need to go to church anymore. Maybe, maybe, maybe religion and maybe Christianity is, is 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 not worth it. The plan of salvation for Christian and non-Christian are in these passages and the passages directly following them. So let's break it down for just a minute. If you'll bear with me for another few minutes, I promise you will. Be glorified. You will be benefited by it and God will be glorified. Now, so, let's break this passage down. First off, the step number one is hear it. Let's say that gospel plan of salvation again. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Here's what members of the body of Christ mean when they say those five things. If you want to become a Christian, you need to hear the gospel. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3... He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that you have heard before in the word of truth that was taught to you by Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. You see, the Colossians started right where you and I started. They started right where you are starting if you're not a Christian tonight. They started by having to hear the word of truth. By having to hear the gospel, by having to hear about the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And if and if you are if you have watched this video until this point, you have heard the gospel. Number two, believe it. If you're going to hear it, how are you going to live the gospel out? How are you going to obey the gospel if you never if you never put your faith in it? You never put your trust in it. Back to Colossians. Chapter 1, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You see, the hope, they heard about the hope. They realized the hope was, was awaiting them. They realized that heaven was awaiting them. And so because of that, they started to have faith. They started to have faith because of what they had heard. You have to accept it. You have to believe it. If not... You take the word of truth, the gospel, and you throw it in the mud and you stomp on it because you were built to believe it. You were built, you were created, you were made to follow God. That's the point of you and I being here. Number three, if you want to become a Christian, you want to start living the gospel, you want to obey the gospel, you need to repent towards it. And Acts chapter 3 is one of the first times in the New Testament that the word repent is used after the, the foundation of the church. The first one is in uh, Acts chapter 2. The second one is in Acts chapter 3. In Acts 3, he says, I want you to repent and turn. Well, you need to turn from the way you used to live, the way that broke God's heart, to the way he has instructed you and requested for you to live in. In the word of truth, in the gospel. Because he built you, he created you so that you could love him and so you could show him affection. And in order to love and show him affection, you need to show him by following what he has commanded. You can't love God if you don't obey him. In fact, in John, Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how we show him that we love him. That's how we show him our affection. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since you heard, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. That is what repentance really is. Those words... The gospel comes in and it bears fruit and it increases in the hearts of the people that want to obey it. Bearing fruit and increasing means this. When you find out that something you have done in the past is sinful, is against God's plan, is against the word of God. You decide that moment that it will never happen again to the best of your ability. That's called repentance. It is the change of mind that leads to the change of action. Repentance is when the gospel gets in your heart and it bears fruit. Number four. If you want to obey the gospel, you need to confess it. Now this happens in two ways actually. The word confess is actually found in... um, In in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. We'll get back to that in just a second. But it comes from this passage. Where'd we go? There we are. Okay. It comes from this passage, Romans chapter 10 verses 5-10. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what, it, what does it say? What does faith say? What does righteousness say? Based on faith. What does doing the right thing, following the word of God, based on a a, a, a knowledge and an understanding of the gospel say? It says this. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You want salvation tonight you need to confess him now confession is said with the mouth but it's also said with the life the word means homologeo uh, the greek word is hama legeo, and it just means that you are saying the same thing homo means same legeo means word and so you are saying the same word about your sins that god has said and what god said is i said a plan and you broke it and you broke my heart And so I sent preachers and people to tell you the gospel. I sent Lee to record a video on a Monday afternoon so that you could watch it Wednesday night so that you could hear the gospel. And if you're ready to confess, what you need to do is say the same thing about your sins that God has said about them that they break his heart, that they separate you from him, and that it's time for them to end. Now, we could see it in Colossians chapter 1. Back again. Let's read the passage again. We're going to keep doing this until until it gets in. Ready? We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since you heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love that you have for all the saints because of the hope uh, hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you is indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. It also bears among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, How does Paul know that this is happening? Paul's never been to Colossae before. We thank God because we hear of your faith. How can you know what my faith is without me telling you what my faith is? You can't. It's not egotistical for me to tell you my faith. But you can't know it unless I tell you. Paul doesn't know their faith unless they're willing to say it out loud. Romans 10 says, if you say it out loud, you'll be saved. And then comes the really hard part. The really hard part is the obey part. If you want to obey the gospel, if you want to be a part of the house of God, if you want to be saved, You need to obey the gospel. Like I said, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that those who do not obey the gospel will not receive the rest that Jesus is coming to give us. Where we don't have to worry about any vaccines or any viruses or any sicknesses or cancers or car accident or anything else. But you have to obey the gospel first. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9 For all endurance and patience with joy. See, the Colossians were already Christians. And so in order for them to obey the gospel, in order for them to continue to show the gospel the way that the Christians did in Acts chapter 11, they need to do this. They need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They need to fully please him. And they need to bear fruit in every good work and increase in knowledge. That is how a Christian remains Faithful. That is how a Christian continues to obey the gospel. If you're a Christian tonight and you aren't doing these things, now is the time to fix it. If you are not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you are ashamed when people find out that you're a Christian. If you are not fully pleasing to Him. The way we please Him is to obey His commandments. If we are not bearing fruit in every good work. If we are not increasing in our knowledge of him and being strengthened with all power through his word, we are not obeying the gospel as Christians and members of his household. In fact, in order to be part of his house, it says we need to be faithful. Now, what if you're not a Christian yet? What if you're watching this video and all this seems great? But you need to know how you can obey the gospel. Well, you'll need to do this. But there's something you need to do just before this. And that is way back. Let's see if we can find it. Let's go all the way back. Let's see here. Um, hmm. Well, let's just start over and I'll find it. Now. We have been born again a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance our hope that is imperishable undefiled and unfading how do, we, how do we become born again well let's go all the way back to the end of our study here in just a moment and here we go and to you who were once alienated, Colossians one twenty three through twenty one through twenty three, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind—that's a non Christian, a lost person, someone who has not been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable and uncorruptible, and doesn't fade away. You who are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Doesn't that sound beautiful to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him? Well, in order to do that, you need to be reconciled in his body of flesh... By his death. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast. Once you do this. Once you're born again. You still need to continue in the faith. Be stable and steadfast. And not shifting from, from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. You're going to have to remain faithful. Just like I talked to the Christians a moment ago. If you aren't following these things. If you aren't fully pleasing him. If you aren't walking in a manner worthy of him. You will lose Your hope. You will shift from the hope of the gospel and you will be lost once again. But if you're a non-Christian and you want this, you want to be reconciled. You want to be holy and blameless. You have to be reconciled through his death. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4, it tells us how to be reconciled through his death. And listen for just a minute before we read this verse. I know that what I'm about to say is not a very popular statement. I know that what I'm about to say is something that your preacher and other preachers will probably disagree with. I don't want you to take it from the man. I want you to take it from the word of truth. The person that is saying the gospel isn't the most important part. The gospel that is being spread is God has given us the word of truth so that we can know how he wants us to show him love and affection. Now here's how he said he wants you to be saved through the death of his son. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life, in repentance, in faithfulness. You want to know how you get to the newness of life? You want to know how you get to this type of life, holy and blameless and above reproach? You do this. You're baptized into his death. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, That baptism is the thing that washes our sins away. That saves us. Acts 2 and verse 38 says that it's for the remission of forgiveness of sins. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to be baptized. I promise you, I will meet you at this building or at your home or anywhere else in the Columbus area. If you are living somewhere else, I promise you. I will find someone to baptize you tonight. If you are ready, if you're ready to be holy and blameless and above reproach, I promise you it will happen right now. Forget social distancing for just a moment. This is more important. If you want to be holy and blameless, you have you have to do it through his death. And if you want to do it through his death, you have to be baptized into Christ Jesus and baptized into his death. Now, I'm going to go back to Colossians chapter 1. And I don't know where we read it last, so let's just go to this one. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your faith, In Christ Jesus. Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Do you have faith in Christ Jesus tonight. If you haven't been baptized you don't have it. You might have faith. You might have an understanding. You might have heard the gospel and believed it and be willing and ready to change your life. And tell every person about Jesus. But if you are in Christ you aren't finished yet. And if you're a Christian tonight and you have not been walking worthy of the Lord Jesus, if you have not been holy and blameless, it's time to make it right. It's time to put your big boy pants on and fix what needs to be fixed. And it's time to be faithful again. I promise you, if you need one of those things, if you need prayers, if you need somebody to talk to, please reach out to me. If you want to be baptized tonight, you get in touch with us. Get in touch with me. I'm going to put my phone number at the bottom of this screen right now. And you can call me. You can text me. You can get in touch with me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever. You can call the church building. I promise you we will take care of that problem right now. Listen, the gospel is more than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus It's the entire plan that led to that and the plan following that. I am thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross because without it, we can't be holy and blameless. And it's time that every person starts obeying it. I want to thank you again for your time tonight. Let's say a prayer before we wrap up. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this study. We pray that it has been beneficial to us and to those who will see it. Father, we pray that if we are Christians tonight and there is something that is standing between you and us, that we will make sure that we fix that. Father, we pray that if, if there is a non-Christian or someone who has not become obedient to Jesus Christ, not become a part of your house, we pray that they will not go to sleep tonight. They will not be able to go to sleep tonight, Father, until they have until they have made that right. Father, we thank you for the chance to come together in prayer. We pray for Hannah and for the difficulties that she's facing because of this virus and every single person that is dealing with this virus, Father. We thank you for the medical professionals and our government leaders that are trying their very best to take care of us and lead us through this. We pray that you will get us through it as quickly as possible, that you'll bring us back together as quickly as possible. But, Father, we know that your will supersedes everything that we want. We pray that if it's in your will, you'll take care of this issue so that we can get back to get back to worshiping together, studying together, and fellowshipping together. But if it's not your will, Father, we pray that you will take care of us and guide us and direct our paths in Christ Jesus. Amen.